Hi there, welcome to an episode of an Inside View podcast in association with On The Ball Team Building. I'm your host, Jamie Finn. If this is your first time listening, please do go back to episode one and have a listen. If you haven't done so already, please do click subscribe. There is a business or sports person in each of us, and we hope that our guest stories will help our listeners to chase their dreams. Hello, welcome to episode 9 of series 4 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. Special mention to Sporting Doors who have come on board as sponsors for this series. They're an online sports sponsorship platform that connects athletes with companies all around the world. The Irish-owned online marketplace has over 4,000 athletes. For more information, be sure to check out the link in the show notes or do check out their website. A special shout out to the Shire Baron Cafe in Killarney in County Kerry who are also supporting the podcast for this series. This week I'm delighted to be joined by Her Excellency Alison Milton, the Ambassador of Ireland to the UAE, Kuwait, Qatar and also has responsibility for Afghanistan. The Clare native was previously the Ambassador of Ireland to Colombia before moving to the Middle East to take up her new role late last year. In the lead up to St. Patrick's Day, it's fitting to have Alison on the podcast as a guest to gain an insight into her role and responsibilities as an Irish ambassador. There is no doubt we have a huge amount to cover, so let's bring her on. Hi Alison, thanks for taking time out to come on Interview Podcast. I know you're extremely busy, um, I really appreciate it. How are you keeping? I'm great, thanks Jamie. Uh, no problem, delighted to do this. It's uh, always, a, always a pleasure to be able to talk through... Um, aspects of the job and and uh, being an ambassador and all the rest so very happy to do it no problem and you have uh, an interesting interesting story um you've been in a few interesting places and i, I believe you you are in a lot of uh, interesting negotiations which we'll we'll delve into soon but you're an extremely busy person like how do you how do you balance time with you know with business um and with commitments and, and family and even downtime yeah, listen, you get you get good at, better at it with age, Jamie. And now that I'm advancing in age, I've got better at it over time. Uh, listen, it is it's a very busy job. It's when they talk about full time jobs, the role of an ambassador definitely is full full time. It's pretty much twenty four seven because at any time uh, you can be called with any particular type of emergency or issue. So um, it is it is you you are on call all the time. Um, but just try to to prioritize know what's important uh, family will always come first uh, making sure that I'm keeping myself well will also um, be right up there in the priority list and you know in terms of, of the actual day-to-day and the list of tasks that are there I mean just careful prioritization learning to say no learning to say yes um, to the right things and really I suppose figuring out what's important to those that that I serve, which are Irish citizens and uh, the Irish government, and uh, just being really trying to be astute in terms of um, prioritizing that. Like what are you, you you touched on there, uh, like emergency issues. Like what type of emergency issues would you have to deal with? Obviously, you have the issue with passports. I think that would be one thing that springs to mind. But other issues, what kind of stuff would it would an ambassador have to deal with? Yeah, I mean, the role of, uh, like, I'm obviously Ireland's representative here in the UAE, also to Kuwait, Qatar and uh, Afghanistan. We don't have diplomatic relations with Afghanistan, so that's a slightly lesser role. But um, 
in terms of UAE, Qatar and Kuwait, we have across the three countries up to about, you know, 14 to 15,000 citizens, Irish citizens. So my first and foremost priority always will be uh, our consular response, our consular assistance. Obviously, I don't do that single handedly, Jamie, that I have a consular team here. But, you know, the first and most important thing is when you get a call from an Irish citizen in trouble. So passports in a way, I suppose, you know, because everything is done now digitally online and the passport service is very quick and fast. That probably is is a lesser issue, and it's more if somebody has got into trouble, such as being arrested, or obviously, God forbid, but uh, had an accident or seriously ill, or uh, when a citizen sadly passes away. I mean, they're the hardest, obviously, cases to deal with. Um, so that type of thing is can come at you at any time, uh, at any moment, and and we're here to assist, and and we that's what we need to do, and that's what we do do to the best of our ability. Um, I suppose other issues are things that might, you know, uh, break in the media, some some particular thing that might have happened in, in your country's responsibility that gets interest in Ireland, gets becomes of public interest in Ireland. And then you might need to be engaging with your press colleagues back in Dublin uh, on those issues. Uh, obviously, if it's some important political development that's relevant to Ireland's priorities in the region are not just political, it can be um, a commercial issue, business issue linked to our trade objectives. You know, our responsibility here as the embassy is to report back to Dublin and make people aware, liaise with colleagues here on the ground. I, as ambassador here, work very closely with uh, what we call Team Ireland. And Team Ireland is really the embassy together with the Irish state agencies, uh, Board BIA, Tourism Ireland, Enterprise Ireland and the IDA. So we work very much as a team. And again, you know, making sure that... um, that we're sharing information and that we're all being kept aware of, of developments. So that type of thing, obviously, worst, worst case scenario, if there was some kind of, um, you know, crisis, as we call them, or a disaster or a, a security incident. I mean, it's my responsibility to reach out to the team, my family and the families of the embassy, the team, the bigger uh, Team Ireland team. So all of all of the Irish staff working right across and um, and then the broader Irish community and Thankfully, touch wood, that hasn't happened in my time here yet, but uh, I have had to deal with that in the past for sure. This episode is going to be released um, for St. Patrick's Week. St. Patrick's Day is obviously the uh, 17th, but the, in the lead up, we're going to release it. What's your plan for, let's say, the five or six days prior to St. Patrick's Day? What's the, the schedule? I believe it's it's back to back, is it? Well, we have, of course, a, a busy schedule with lots of um, interesting things coming up. Um, we, uh, I suppose, first, if you say the the, the days prior, um, we're going to have a visit from the Uktron of the GA. Uh, he's coming over for the Middle East Games, the Middle East Championships. That's not directly uh, linked to St. Patrick's Day, but I understand it's always timed to coincide with that time of um, of the year. So, uh it's um we've got a number of events with with the GA over over next weekend uh, Thursday Friday Saturday and then on the following Tuesday we have Minister Josepha Madigan arriving we're delighted to have uh, Minister Madigan coming to the UAE and Qatar so we have a very intensive program with the minister um which will include a trip down to Qatar which will include uh, engagement with the main Irish community organisations the Irish business organisations with the Team Ireland partners I mentioned earlier and with obviously our important interlocutors here in the UAE and in Qatar and her like bilateral meetings with ministers etc 
So, and then we'll have an official reception in the residence on St. Patrick's Day itself. And we'll be trying to support, I mean, I, you know, the embassy is just one piece of the broader Irish community here. Here, obviously, we have a, an active Irish society here in Abu Dhabi. We have the Irish Business Network very active in Dubai. So they'll be having their events and we will be trying to attend and, uh, you know, participate in as many of those as possible. But um, I haven't quite firmed up on that yet, but uh, there's there's certainly some interesting, very interesting um, program of activities, both in Abu Dhabi and Dubai. And then we have, I suppose, all the the uh, various Irish establishments, Irish pubs, I guess, um, which will be having um, their own events. We have a, a big festival, I think, down in Dubai on the 18th with McGettigan's, where there will be Irish bands um high high end bands like the script the coronas etc so you know we'll be trying to get to as many of those events as possible but plans are still still in the making jamie to be honest brilliant just like to buy last minute it all it all works out though, over here in the last it minute <laughs> um <laughs> it has a way of working out thankfully because we're all on the same page that we want to put the irish flag across the uae and qatar and great over the next couple of days and uh, next couple of weeks i should say and we'll be doing all that we can to support that. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, you you touched on there um, your role as an ambassador and you know disaster response and dealing with issues. COVID must have been probably a prime example of that. Was it? We say the the first couple of months and, and dealing with issues for for people. Mm. Um, at that time, you were actually in Colombia. So do you want to kind of mm. delve into what what that was like and and what COVID mm. was like over there? Mm. No, for sure. I mean, just to start by saying that COVID um, for people living away from their home place, I mean, obviously it depends on how well you're established wherever you, you are, but being separated from your family and from your support structure um, during COVID for all of the Irish citizens overseas was, was a really, really difficult time. Um, you know, I think we all have our our start of COVID stories. I mean, as you said, I was based down in Colombia. It was my second year. We were planning the even bigger and better St. Patrick's Day celebration than we had in the first year in 2019. We had a fantastic plan in place, uh, all guns blazing, so to speak, and uh, fun, but all, 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 uh, all things ready to go. And um, in fact, just at a personal level, I had my mum over visiting and... Um, Everything was just so, and, the, and my own team and the embassy had put huge effort into planning St. Patrick's Day. And um, it was around the 12th of March, I think, there, you know, it hit obviously different parts of the world at different times, slightly different times. Um, but it was the 12th of March, I think in Colombia, 12th or 13th, when we just got word uh, from the government that um, the airport was going to be closed the following day and all um, all events were to be cancelled and um, so in the space of of kind of 24 hours I had to I had my own eldest daughter up in San Francisco on a school exchange San Francisco had been much worse hit than than um, Colombia on that day Ireland was worse hit on that day and I had to make the difficult decisions of getting my mother my daughter back from San Francisco and my mother back to Ireland even though things were worse in Ireland on that day than they were in uh in, in Colombia um, break the news to my team that all of their really heavy lifting on St. Patrick's Day had to just be put on hold that St. Patrick's Day was not going ahead and then very very quickly uh, within the space of that 24 hours pivot my attention to all of the Irish citizens in 
um, Colombia. So we had about 130 uh, kind of registered residents in Colombia. But, um, you know, then you have to kind of scramble and find out, okay, who's who's here on a tourist visa, who needs our assistance, put out a big program on social media, because they were literally closing down the airports within, you know, two or three days notice. So there was going to be no way out uh, after that, uh, no kind of commercial way out anyway. And then, of course, I also had responsibility for Panama and Venezuela. And Venezuela was a very difficult context at that time. Um, so, you know, over the coming I guess weeks and and months. Well, over those immediate days, it was uh, a big social media campaign. Get yourself on a flight if you want to get out, and we advise you to get out because we don't know how bad this is going to get here, and you know we don't know how this country is going to be able to respond. Um, please get yourself a flight out. Once the airport closed, then we had to see how we could assist uh, people to get out. So over the course of the next few weeks, we did. Um, I guess, assist about 170 people, Irish citizens, to get home back to Ireland across uh, um, Colombia, Panama and Venezuela, uh, all on shared flights, so to speak. We had no um, you know, Irish government organised flight. It was all uh, asking assistance from our German colleagues to get people on Lufthansa flights, our uh, Dutch colleagues to get people on um, special KLM flights or whatever. So a lot of collaboration across the, the EU, a lot of over and back with citizens, because you had, of course, you know, inevitably a lot of people who wanted to choose to stay uh, for a whole series of, of personal reasons and just trying to give them the best possible advice you could, where at the end of the day, it's everybody's own decision. Um, so it was a big lift. It was uh, myself and um, my, the, you know, my other DFA colleagues, uh, foreign affairs colleagues, uh, just three of us, really, really two of us, actually, initially, um, who were just on that. And again, that was work that sometimes uh, went through the night rather than, you know, where there was very spe specific, sensitive issues um, that you had to deal with. You know, you just had to stick with it. And from the outside looking in, please don't take this the wrong way, but what are, what would be the, the the connection and relations between Ireland and Colombia or vice versa? Would the, you know would there be a lot of trade between both nations or or is it just are you just there kind of to to manage the people and make sure everything is goes according to plan and be a point of contact? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, um, God, it's amazing how once you leave a country and come to a country like the UAE, it completely absorbs you so I have to think back to our trade figures <laughs> with with Colombia but I can tell you that opening the embassy in Colombia was absolutely well it was a absolute honor of my career to be Ireland's first ambassador to Colombia and it was definitely the right decision of the Irish government I mean we have uh, you know it's a very very big market 55 million people very long-standing um links, uh, commercial links uh, between Ireland and, and Colombia, you know, the likes of Smurf and Kappa had invested in Colombia many, many, many years, decades previously, and now had a very big operation there. Um, Declan Ryan, Tony Ryan's son, had a, a, an airline that he'd established there, Viva Air, which was doing really well. There was a lot of interest from new companies on fintech, medtech, a whole range of areas that ha had been looking at Colombia. Aircraft leasing, of course, was very, very big in Colombia. I think over 70% of the planes in Colombian aerospace was released through Ireland. So again, that oh. was a big challenge during during COVID when the airport closed and, and those companies were affected. So strong trade interest, a very big demographic, very uh, strategically situated in the region. So, you know, it's very much a hub right across the region. Um, 
easy enough to to go up towards Central America and and, and Mexico and then to to fly down to to the more southern countries in South America. Uh, we had a lot of really interesting um, work on sharing lessons on the peace process. So, you know, Colombia looked to Ireland for many years, both when it went to Cuba, first of all, to negotiate its peace agreement. And they, they looked to Ireland in terms of how we managed to negotiate our peace agreement. But then, you know, I arrived or I was there kind of year three, year four, year five of of, of um following the, the signing of, of the Colombian peace agreement and Colombians have uh, very high expectations and very hard on themselves. And after a year, you know, as they were approaching year five, they were seeing their peace process as a total failure and just being able to share some of the lessons from Ireland that, you know, here we are hitting our 25th anniversary and the work of peace building is, is a daily work. It's not something that just happens on the signing of, of a peace agreement. So a lot of really interesting work on sharing lessons um, on on peace and and promoting peace and and being a stable actor. I mean, Colombia is a very stable economy. It was very fiscally sound, uh, very fa- sound fiscal base. So from that perspective as well, across the region, it would have been a real kind of beacon of stability. Actually, even though it's often got a reputation for for other things. So um, so yeah, it I I I think it was an absolutely great decision we made. Colombia had also opened up an our its embassy in Dublin. There's lots of people-to-people links between Colombia and Ireland. Colombians going to Ireland to study, both, you know, at um, third, um, at postgraduate level and, and at, at other third level, but also like to learn English. It's an important market. Um, they see Ireland, obviously, as, you know, a, a really important EU member state and, and an entry point into the EU. So there's lots of really strong rationale for why we opened the embassy in, in, and it's really gone from strength to strength. And, and of course, I should say I was building on work that had gone uh, previously through our embassy in Mexico, where we'd already started that kind of exchange of lessons uh, on the peace process. Eamon Gilmore was the, the EU special representative to the Colombian peace process, and he still has that role as well as the the EU special representative on human rights. So both were very relevant in, in Colombia. So there's lots of, there was lots and lots of issues to work on um, in Colombia and lots of positive, huge interest in our, in our cultural heritage in Ireland. You, you wouldn't believe the amount of people that I met in Bogota who had, you know, read Ulysses um, in Spanish and in English. We, we had uh, people down there teaching on Ulysses, you know, the, the, the amount of people who were aware of our, um, our literature and our music was just, I mean, bowled me over, to be honest with you, because it wouldn't be the same vice versa. We, we, we we're just about no salsa in Ireland, but we might know uh, much more about, about Colombian kind of cultural heritage. Do you find, like, do you find it kind of, we say, difficult, the fact you were in, in Colombia and Venezuela and uh, pa- Panama as well, you know, did you find it difficult to communicate and converse with 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 people in the in the region um because obviously we've we've uh well i have a much more stronger accent now than than you but <laughs> did you did you find it difficult to, to communicate or were they all able to understand english no well i thankfully speak fluent spanish jamie i went oh. off to el salvador back in 1994 not speaking a word of spanish but uh, i lived at uh, at the top of a mountain in a rural community uh for two years and uh learned spanish and um Going back to Colombia was just fantastic to be back speaking speaking Spanish. So I I really love I operated all the time through Spanish in Colombia and uh, really enjoyed that. That was a, 
it's definitely something I miss, I have to say. But um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously Colombians, a lot of Colombians in, in the city and, and um, you know, Colombia, unfortunately, is a is a very, you know, like so many countries across the Latin American region and, and other regions in the world, it's there's a lot of inequality. But those um, who have, uh, you know, been privileged to have education would often have, have studied through English. So, you know, the level of English was reasonably good, but I operated most of the time through Spanish when speaking to Colombians, obviously. And when you came, came to... Say the UE, obviously the UE would be fine, but we're saying the other other regions that are the other uh, countries that you head up, um, you find find it difficult communicating because obviously you had the Spanish before mm-hmm. that language to help you, and now you you, you just have the English. What's yeah. the, do you find any 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 potholes or any issues at the moment? Ah uh, well, I mean, Jamie, I'd love love to say that I would say that I was going to. I mean, I do I do want to learn Arabic, and I have learned a few words, and I do use them, and I think that gets well received. And um, it's going to be a big ask for me to 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 learn Arabic with the responsibilities I have here. But um, I so no, I mean, obviously, the level of of English here in the UAE is just incredible, and and even though they really appreciate your few initial words of Arabic, you know, I haven't really come across very many people who can't uh, communicate fluently in English. Uh, I haven't been to Kuwait yet, so I can't really speak for Kuwait, but certainly down in in uh, Qatar last week, again, there was really no issues. So I haven't uh, experienced any potholes, as you call it, so far. I I would love uh, to speak Arabic and. It's um, I've never worked in a country before where I haven't learned the local language. So um, in an ideal world, I I would try and make a greater effort on that. So you never know. Maybe I will. But just so far, it hasn't really been possible. But uh, it certainly would still be a dream. I'd like to to, to give, you know, um, listeners an insight into the first time chatting to. And I think one thing that definitely comes to my mind when I hear uh, about an ambassador is how do you become an ambassador how do you know what how what, what was your route like um i know you 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 went to college what's your connection with limerick is there some connection with limerick are you from limerick or are you from Galway? i grew up i grew up in shannon i was born in limerick grew up in shannon county clare so i'm a clare woman first and foremost and uh, left um clare when i was 16 moved to dublin the family moved for work reasons and um, so my family now, the rest of my family have have uh, are very much settled in Dublin, but I'm still a Clare woman and I currently live in Galway. So that's my that's connection, connection with the West. Right. And uh, I will always probably uh, live in the West of Ireland. It's definitely where I feel my 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 home is. Um, yeah. How did you I, become an ambassador? Like, how can someone become an ambassador for, for, yeah. for Ireland? Well, listen, it's an absolute privilege to be an ambassador for Ireland. So I'd encourage anyone listening to this who has any sense of wanting to be an ambassador to go for it. I mean, I think you have to really be driven by a strong um, instinct of wanting to serve your country. Representing your country is an incredible privilege. And that's what an ambassador is all about. So I think that was part of my interest and drive, you know, that that notion of of sitting around a table negotiating on some important issue on behalf of Ireland is is just an incredible uh, an incredible honor and that's what diplomats do so i always it wasn't so much about you know necessarily definitely always wanting to become an ambassador but i knew that i wanted to to work in foreign affairs i wanted to represent ireland overseas and and be a diplomat my my route to it um 
you know, I don't know if, if there's that many of us who've had a conventional route, but my my route definitely was through um, having an interest in overseas development. So I had this, you know, I grew up in a in a house with my my father. Uh, well, the reason we were in Shannon was because of Shannon Development, but then he did a lot of that kind of lesson sharing around duty free zones. Uh, in less developed countries so I suppose I was exposed to um, from a young age um, to my parents talking about places in, in Central America indeed Nicaragua and El Salvador, uh, Philippines, Nigeria then um, yeah so he, he worked in, in, in a lot of those kind of countries and I, I suppose that created an interest in, in me and um, I yeah from a nerd like he passed away when I was 21 and I, I think straight away I knew I wanted to kind of follow his footsteps on, on that kind of work and um, so I I was working at the time um, in corporate banking in Ulster Bank I had studied banking and finance in UCD and I guess I, I felt I should uh, try try out banking given that I'd studied it but uh, it wasn't for me and I went to a um, agency that existed at the time that unfortunately no longer exists called APSO, which is an agency for personal personnel services overseas. So it's like a volunteer agency, I guess. And they asked me to go out to El Salvador to set up a credit program. And that was kind of the beginning of my journey on overseas development. So I did that for, I was working in Central, in Latin America, in Central America for about six years in total with APSO and then I came back to the master's in development and then applied to foreign affairs. Uh, but I came into foreign affairs initially as a development person and then more recently transitioned over to the, the kind of diplomatic core, which now I'm very much part of. And it's, oh yeah, so you, you can't, and then you transferred over. Oh yeah, so you went into development and then you went over to, to the, uh, yeah. so you're in, you're like, you're in the government over 20 years, you know, so it, mm. Again, excuse my my ignorance. You wouldn't, or people in your role wouldn't be affected by the change of of government in Ireland, would you? As such, um, you know, no. if there's new parties, no, 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 no. We're we're here to serve to to implement the policy of the government of the day. So, uh, like good civil servants. So, no, not at all. And uh, it's um, it's it's fascinating working on Ireland's foreign policy because you know I I don't think our priorities have changed that much over the years I think ever more like obviously our membership of the Security Council for the last two years really focused um our public and our political systems minds our politicians minds on the kind of key foreign policy issues and and it's just been fantastic seeing our foreign policy get stronger and stronger and better and better down through the years that I've been part of this and. With you know becoming an ambassador, you progressed through the the ranks and you became an ambassador. But is this something you you apply for? Is that something kind of at the end of of progressing through different different roles? Yeah, no, I mean the main and the usual entry point. Sorry, that's why I was describing that I came in on a slightly different route coming through the development route. But the the regular, I guess, route to come into the diplomatic corps of Ireland and indeed many countries is to apply to a junior diplomat position. So the junior diplomat position in foreign affairs is a third secretary role. So from time to time, there will be a public call through the public appointments office um, for third secretaries. Generally, they're looking for people with an interest in international relations and human rights and in <clears throat> international diplomacy, international business. Definitely looking for people with languages. That's quite important. Um, and with usually a, a bachelor's or master's degree in, in a relevant topic around politics, international relations, et cetera, et cetera. 
So um, that's how people generally apply. We also have a development stream, which is what I came through, and uh, that still exists. It's it's slightly different now. It's called, a, I think, a, a development third secretary. So um, it generally, for anyone interested in joining foreign affairs, the regular routes come in usually is through um, the third secretary route, route or the development third secretary. But they're also open competitions at more senior levels, um, open uh, first secretary roles and, and open principal officer or councillor competitions. So you can come in really at any level now. Two things I want to delve into, uh, and I'm conscious of time. One is your current role as well as uh, everything else, but you're also the Irish and British Relations Director. Can you give us a bit of an insight into into what this is? Yeah, I'm not that anymore. I was that for for um, about ten months. And when I came, finished in Colombia in October. 21 I think I did um I again it was a a real privilege to serve in that role I was British Irish director for for just under a year before I came out here um so basically back in uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs HQ we have regional directors over all of the regional desks and and the British Irish desk is one desk so obviously that looks after uh, relations with GB with Great Britain so I covered I was kind of the point person for our embassy in London who obviously leads off in our bilateral relation with the bilateral relationship with the UK, and then also our consulates in Scotland, Wales, and Manchester. So um, it was a fascinating position at a, at a fascinating time, and obviously things were quite difficult um, due to um, the decision of the UK to to leave uh, the EU, and there was a whole other division in foreign affairs working intensely on on brexit i tried to step back a little bit from brexit and and recognize all of the rest of our relationship with with the uk i mean we have incredible people to people links as you can imagine with great britain i think about one quarter of people who live in in great britain and uh, consider themselves to have irish heritage so that's a, a a very strong and important link we obviously have very strong um trade links, uh, you know, biggest export market, uh, food, our food, so much of our food production goes to GB, our energy supply comes from GB, our electricity markets are interconnected. You know, there's a, there's many, many things that that bind us. And even though we had uh, the difficult issue of Brexit to manage in that bilateral relationship, there was a lot of positivity within that relationship. So my job really was to try and stay focused on uh, not just the positivity, but the realities of of what that relationship were outside of Brexit. If that makes sense. Was it difficult to when in in you know in your in discussions? Was it difficult to kind of separate the aspect of Brexit because it was kind of the elephant in the room mm-hmm. in every conversation? I, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a very good point, Jamie. I mean, it, it's kind of impossible to separate it, but at the same time, I. I always named it and then said, okay, we are going through this very difficult negotiation process. You know, we have all of what, all of that Brexit context to work with. But at the same time, you know, we need to look at this. So you couldn't separate it. But I think, as you said, recognizing, not letting it become an elephant in the room, but calling it out straight and, uh, um, but not letting it take over everything either. You know, that that was the important piece that, our, our two islands are completely intertwined in many, many different ways, historically, culturally, 
um, the people to people links, families, et cetera, et cetera, as, as our ministers like Simon Coveney would have talked about many times. So there's there, we were never, that relationship was just would never fail. So what my job was just to try and look for how we can keep it strong through these turbulent times. Can you, can you give an example of certain things that you would have been dealing with during that time? Because it, it's probably hard mm. from the outside looking in to understand that well, I suppose one thing that wasn't affected I mean I you know challenged but not affected by Brexit was the common travel area so a key piece of my job was to to you know look, work on travel common travel area issues and protect them and um, there, there's a whole lot of detail in that to be honest with you that's just you couldn't even think about starting because otherwise it's too long um, but the common travel area is just one absolute key example um, um, as I said I also you know worked we had a relationship with, with the Scottish government and with the Welsh government so there was a lot of kind of positivity in that and, and a set of goals and aims. We had two bilateral frameworks with each of those two governments. So that was really, really interesting and important. I mean, obviously all of our cultural links kept were very, very strong and important. And just to, you know, I think it was difficult for a lot of our diaspora in the UK. Brexit has been difficult for them and and um just to try and keep those people to people links strong. So making sure we continue to celebrate St. Patrick's Day and uh, St. Bridget's Day and, and Bloom's Day and all of those really important events that we celebrate. So I would have worked a, a lot of that cultural program as well. I mean, very much led on by the embassy in London, but we would have supported from, from the desk. So they're just two examples, but there's a whole range of issues, as I said, on the energy side, on the um on uh, yeah, on a whole range of issues, and I mean, we also maintained a very good relationship with the British Embassy in Dublin. Like that would have been my my con- counterpart there, and that was important as well. So, since August twenty twenty two, you've been over in the United Arab Emirates. What has it been like? What has the last couple of months been like? Have you settled in, adjusted <laughs> to the weather, and so on? Yeah, no, listen, Jamie, it's been great. Obviously, I just, nobody can believe uh, what 45 or 50 degree heat, I think it was 48, the highest I experienced, but 48 degree heat feels like until you actually experience it, <laughs> until you walk out of your air-conditioned car or office and, and face it. So that certainly was a um, a new experience. Um, you know, I think I, I mentioned that I a lot of my career to date has been in Latin America and Africa, so I'm I'm new to this region, but I'm absolutely intent. I suppose I feel like I'm a bit of a a sponge as well, ready to absorb everything and and question everything and be very open and transparent in in the fact that I'm I'm learning from a low base, but I'm so keen to learn and understand this part of the world. I think I think the UAE is is an incredibly important. Uh, country f- for all of us for Ireland and, and for the world I think it's global positioning is really really important I mean not just UAE obviously uh, across the GCC but I think you know the 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 convening power of the UAE and the way it's positioning itself is really really fascinating and important for Ireland so you know I came out here with a number of kind of personal goals and um, one of them was to be a, a good leader of my team here in the embassy I have quite a, a reasonably large team for an Irish embassy you know there's about 22 I think at last count um, and growing and that there's there's colleagues from other government departments here as well as not just foreign affairs we have a department of justice colleagues and department of agriculture colleagues so being a, a good leader for that team and and then as I said 
working closely with Team Ireland and um, working as part of a team was definitely a second goal. Um, you know, building a better understanding of, of the Middle East region and uh, working with my colleagues right across the region and understanding the, the Middle East dynamics, you know, the, the how regional dynamics actually are incredibly important for us at a global level and, and incredibly important for Ireland. So building a better analysis and a deeper understanding of that and reporting back to, to HQ and that. So, I mean, I, I just think it's, I, I don't think I could have ever have imagined the the level of, of contacts between Ireland and the UAE. I mean, I just had no sense of that. I have to be I have to admit coming from Ireland, you just don't hear about it that much. But with a community of ten to twelve thousand people here, the amount of families in Ireland who know either know somebody who's here, know somebody who used to be here, know an Emirati that studied in RCSI in Ireland or or whatever. I mean, those people to people links are are just so vast. And there's a lot of business links, there's a lot of good business going on. There's, you know, we've a very robust trade relationship with the UAE. So it's been great. It's been a sharp learning curve. It's been very, very busy. Uh, but it's it's really fantastic. And I work very closely, obviously, with my other EU colleagues as well. And I think the role of the EU here is very important and, and we need to continue to strengthen that. Um, so, yeah, I, I have been busy. I, I certainly uh, have been busy getting out there and meeting as many people. And, and sorry, I should have said like a totally uh, primary goal in, in that list of goals also was, you know, I'm, I'm not here to be an expat and spend my time with the expat community. I really want to, to get to know um, Emiratis to get to know the people who are, um, you know, who 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 are citizens of this country and and really understand, um, yeah, how how Emirati society works and what their thinking is. I want to uh, really understand that. I'm at my first time that I'm going to experience um, a company Ramadan, and I'm really interested to learn and watch that and and see how how important it is here and and all the rest. So. And um, that's that's it, Jamie. It's been my family have settled in well. Everybody has given me a really incredibly good welcome. I want to thank all of the Irish organizations like the Irish Business Network in Dubai, the Irish Society and Business Council here in Abu Dhabi, the, the GAA and all of the Irish citizens I've met. I couldn't have had a better welcome, but also definitely our Emirati hosts as well have given me a very, very warm welcome. Just before we we're, we're coming towards the end now, but I'd like to maybe just to, to call up because obviously we're over here. We kind of understand the the relations between, we say, the U, the UAE and Ireland. But from you know from working on it in a daily basis, what like what what are the relations between the the UAE and Ireland in regards to trade? Um, because unfortunately, and and this is perhaps always the same. Before I came out, I just thought. The region, uh, sorry, the UAE was just all like a desert. You know, it's obviously it's much more than that. Uh, what, what, mm. you know, what is the the relations there? You know, it's, it's not all just oil. There's a lot more. Oh no, I mean, I think now seventy five percent of of um of UAE's GDP is coming from non oil. So you know, there's very very strong interest um from the UAE in, in a number of sectors in Ireland and uh, a robust, as you said, trade relationship. I mean, we have have significant trade on on goods of, of 700 million of, and then on services of, of nearly 2 billion. So we've very significant trade figures with the UAE. Uh, I mean, primary exports from Ireland to here, a lot of it is around um, med tech, medical devices, uh, pharmaceuticals, 
a very robust trading relationship. The food is very strong. I have to share my favorite statistics since I got here where there's more Irish foodstuffs on the supermarket shelves in the UAE than any other country besides Ireland and Great Britain and the UK. So like that's an incredible statistic for me. And I don't think there's many people in oh. Ireland who would imagine that. So, so you know, there's a very, um, this country is about a lot more than oil, for sure. You have very ambitious country. It's a very young country still, uh, same age as myself, which of course is very young, but um, it has a very ambitious plans for itself. It's positioning itself very strategically as this, you know, regional hub, international hub, the fact that it's uh, hosting COP this year, it hosted Expo last year. They did a fantastic job with Expo. So, you know, this it's really, really important for us as Ireland and as European member states generally to, to recognize the strategic positioning of this country and and its, I guess, financial strength and its its um its human capital strength as well and, and see how we can build better links and better people to people links. I mean, the education links are already strong, especially as I mentioned with the medical colleges, but I think there's interest. We'll have Minister Madigan coming out now, who is obviously Minister Minister of State for Education. And uh, I think the education links are are growing and growing and can get stronger. So, you know, there's there's opportunities across the board and, and on exchange. I mean, this is I'm talking about two way learning. I'm not talking about a one way traffic here. I think we have a lot to learn from UAE as well. For example, the way they've completely digitized their government services. We've Minister Derek Kaliri out here recently, and he was really interested in sharing um our experience with digitization and learning from UAE's experience and they're interested to hear from us on regulation of of uh, of digital markets and we're interested to hear from them about some of the platforms they use for digital services etc so there's a lot of learning to uh, two way that that can happen and i think um, i think we have natural affinities as people to be honest uh, i think we're both um you know we come from small countries that have had to kind of define themselves very clearly and uh, we're both a warm uh, people, ambitious people, you know, strong focus on our financial markets and on our our economy. And uh, I think there's a lot more that unites us um, than, than we realize. And, and that's where I'm very strongly focused. And just to add on to that, you know, what I've uh, what I've seen as well is that family is very important for, mm. for people here. And that's uh, that's something that's very important for us as, as Irish people as well. Um, so that's a, definitely another another similarity. Just briefly, um, how does your role here differ from that in Colombia? Um, I mean, the basic role is pretty similar. Um, here, obviously, there's so much more focus on community on the Irish community because it's so much bigger. Um, so you know, I have a lot more contacts with Irish businesses. Uh, here are Irish citizens living here, different issues that arise. The, the consular load is definitely bigger. Um, but I mean, the the core role is is pretty much similar. You know, you're here with the privilege of representing the government of Ireland. That's your job. You're putting out Ireland's, um, you know, representing Ireland's interests and representing Ireland's values. And, and that core role is, is very similar. And, you know, you lean into... I, I now can lean into the experience I've gained in Colombia and I feel um, that's been hugely beneficial to my role here. So I, I don't think the content of day to day is is quite different, um, but the actual core role is is very much the same, if that makes sense. 
So we'll, we'll wrap it up now in, in, a, in a minute. I know I'm happy to say on that, but we're, we're nearly done. So uh, thank you very much again for this. Um, what would, you, you touched on already, but I'd like to just to, to delve into this a bit more. What would, you know, be success for you now in your role over the next couple of years? I know you have some personal goals um, that you might want to share, but maybe what, what would be success over the next couple of years? Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, uh, yeah, a little bit what I said already, but I mean, I think the most important thing is that the bilateral relationship between Ireland and the UAE and, of course, with Qatar and Kuwait gets stronger and stronger. And what does that mean? It means that our trade grows. It means our people to people links are maximized. It means that we develop a better understanding of this part of the world back in Ireland and that this part of the world better understands who's this little country called Ireland sitting on the the the, the western side of, of, of the UK, of, of Great Britain. I mean, I think that there's very, very strong links between uh, Abu Dhabi, say, or D- Dubai and London. There isn't as strong um, links uh, to, to Dublin. So, you know, we want, to, we want to develop that. So success for me will look like a strong team here in the embassy, a strong uh, Team Ireland approach where we're all working together um, towards a common set of objectives and, and interests and goals and that there's a better awareness and understanding of Ireland here in the UAE and that definitely there's a better awareness and understanding of this part of the world back in Ireland. So that's for me is 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 really, really important. And I, I think that's what I'm here to do. And strong links uh, between Abu Dhabi or slash Dubai and, and Dublin, would that be reflected in, you know, say going forward in, we say, UAE companies setting up in Ireland or how would that be defined? So curiosity. Yeah. I mean, we have our, you know, our, the work of Enterprise Ireland and the work of IDA are, is distinct and different. And um, part of it is is uh, potential, um, obviously, the UAE seen as an export market that's already very buoyant and, and growing. And, and Enterprise Ireland have done a fantastic job in, in supporting their clients to access this market. And indeed, some of those partners may decide to set up here uh, in the UAE or in the region. And also, I think, you know, there hasn't been that much um, inward investment from here to Ireland, but I certainly think it's something that uh, will be looked at, will be considered over time. And, um, you know, there, there are all lots of countries across the EU um, looking to the UAE at the moment and, and again to other partners in this region um, for, you know, inward investment in terms of energy infrastructure or or other types of infrastructure. So I think Ireland is is no different and, and shouldn't be any different. Always um we'll do it in a in a very transparent and, and values-driven way. That's the way Ireland works and, and that's the way we'll continue to work. Brilliant. Brilliant. I'd like to finish up on this question with all my guests. What are two daily non-negotiables? Yeah. Um just checking in with my my kids uh, first thing in the morning. How are they? How are they feeling today? And with my husband, of course. Uh, one of my kids, my eldest is back in Ireland now, so I have to do that a little bit later in the day. Um, but that, I mean, for me, that's the number one, just knowing every day that that they know that I'm here and that I'm present. So that's that's absolutely non-negotiable. And getting some, some exercise, really, Jamie, um, be it a walk in in the cooler times or if I have to resort to the treadmill or whatever, but taking exercise is is very, very important. Uh, I have a a back condition that 
that needs to be minded. So um, I, a non-negotiable for me is is to get some exercise to move around. Brilliant, brilliant. On that note, I will leave you at it because I know you've a, you've a lot on. Um, I'd like to thank you for taking time out coming on Inside View podcast, and best luck with everything going forward. Thanks so much, Jamie. Thanks for inviting me to come on the podcast and lovely talking to you. And thanks for all the interesting questions. That is all from us on this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Alison. We'd ask you to rate, review and tell your friends and family about the podcast if you haven't done so already. And be sure to click subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. It makes a huge difference. Be sure to follow us on social media. We're available on social media platforms if you haven't done so already. Have a lovely week and be sure to tune in again next week when we have another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe and remember, cred on a thin. Talk to you all soon and thank you all for listening.